11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anna. Well, good morning again. Um, my name's Harrison Spittler. I'm one of your pastors here at EP, along with Nathan Boyette and Drew Wilkins. Uh, many of you have been praying uh, for my um, daughter, Becca, and her pregnancy. She uh, was pregnant with Thomas Harrison. Thomas Harrison made his arrival on Monday morning at 8.20, uh, a little bit early. Um, he is the most beautiful grandson born anywhere in the world within the last week. I have no doubt about that. He is, um, I, I am smitten. I am smitten with this little man. Uh, he is, um, he is uh, relatively healthy. Uh, he does have Down syndrome and uh, he does have some heart issues, but we are thankful that he did not have to have surgery right away. Uh, we are thankful that his oxygen levels are up and um, he's eating like a champ like a guy that wants to play football at Auburn, in fact. I mean, he's just, he is a trooper. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little man. Uh, I am in love. Uh, my daughter, Becca, is also doing uh, very well. Uh, so thank you for your, your prayers for Thomas Harrison Rainey. I'm going to call him T. Harrison and hope it sticks. Um, he, is, uh, he is adorable. Uh, thank you for praying. Uh, let's go to the Father in prayer, can we? Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, thank you for letting us come to you. Uh, Lord, what a privilege. What a great and awesome privilege we have to come into the throne room of grace, the throne room of the King of kings, the creator of the whole universe, and speak with you and plead with you and sup with you to be held closely by you to know your love. Father, this morning as we open your word, would you open up our hearts and would you transform us? Father, would you help us on this day to be ever more in love with you, our King, our Creator, and our Heavenly Father? Lord, would you please use this man, this broken vessel, and declare your beautiful word. Pour out good, clean, living water for our good and for your glory. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray, amen. So my daughter, Becca, the one who uh, had the baby on, on Monday, uh, when she was a, a little child, about six or seven or so, uh, she wandered across the living room and she looked at me and she said, she asked me some question, she asked me for something. I don't remember what it was, but she asked me for something and my response, I think, was something like, uh, I don't know. And she walks back across the room to her mom. 
And her and Sandy are whispering over in the corner. And I think, oh no, I'm in trouble. Becca wanders back across the living room and she crawls up in my lap. And she puts her arms around my neck and she puts her nose on my nose and she tilts her cute little head and blinks her little eyelashes and says, please daddy. (laughs) A please daddy with a puppy face will get you a yes every time. There's something about relationships that bring about yeses. And what father doesn't want to give good gifts to his child? This passage is all about relationships. Yes, it's about prayer, but it's about relationships, and relationships matter. A couple of months ago, I pulled up to the BP station on Solomon's Island Road, and uh, I pulled up behind an older Jeep Liberty, kind of burgundy in color. It had a uh, um, a, t- a temporary tag on the back, a uh, brand new temporary tag, and I thought somebody's just got him a new used vehicle. And uh, I'm standing there, you know, pumping my gas in my big truck, and he's standing there pumping gas into his Jeep, and he's watching the dial very closely, and he stops at $3. And I thought, oh my, because I- I've been there. You know, when you're counting your pennies and your quarters, and you know, you've got enough for $2.11 worth of gas or whatever, and that's all you've got to your name. And I take a closer look, and I I realize that his his smile is kind of tired, and his eyes are weary. His clothing's a bit, um, well, not a bit. It was very worn. Didn't quite fit. And I walk up, and I I strike up a, a conversation with him, first about his Jeep, but then to dive deeper into to who he is, and I got his name, and you know his first name, his last name, and I found out that he had lost his job because of the pandemic, and he was just then starting to get back to work slowly. Uh, the guy he was working for for it actually bought him the Jeep just so he could get back and forth to work. But something was was up, and, and I looked at my new friend, and and I said. Um, I said, so when was the last, um, last time you ate? Um, and he said, yesterday. And this was late in the evening of the following day. And I said, what about, um, what about tonight? What will you have tonight? And he held up the gas pump handle and he said it just went into the tank Um, but this time I'd gotten to know my new friend and I remembered that I had a a $50 bill folded and tucked into a secret place in my wallet Um, and I pulled that out and I said here you need to have some food tonight Maybe this will take care of you tomorrow for a couple of days after this. And, and my new friend put his arms around my shoulders right there in front of everybody as all the other drivers were just waiting to get to the gas pumps, wondering probably what in the world's going on. And he put his arms around my shoulder and began to cry. Relationships matter. And relationships in prayer matter even more. 
This passage is all about relationships and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The book of Matthew was written to skeptical Jews. Um, They knew God as a distant God, not someone that was intimate, close, not someone that that would walk with them, certainly not a Jesus that would die for them. So Matthew goes to great lengths to tell them of their father. So the book of Matthew, uh, 72 different times, God is referred to as father more than any other of the gospels. In this part, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, and 7, 16 different times, God is referred to as father, father in heaven or heavenly father. Matthew wants to make sure that we get it. Jesus referred to his father as heavenly father or father in heaven or Abba, Abba Father. Relationship matters. So the whole basis of Jesus' instruction here on on prayer uh, is based on a foundation of that relationship. So we have to get it right. We have to get the relationship right. And yet we usually don't. Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a physician in Great Britain before he became a pastor and a preacher. And he, he preached for, I think it was 43 years before he wrote that beautiful book, Preaching and Preachers. Uh, he preached through the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite commentaries on that. It's about that thick, just the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. In this passage, he, he talks a little bit about that relationship we have with the Father. He said, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian lives. Now catch the power of that. Got a guy that preached for 43 years. Phenomenal godly man that we still study today. And he said, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian lives. I would say that it is our failure to know God as our Father as we should know Him. That is our trouble. Not difficulties about particular blessings. The central trouble still is that we do not know as we ought to that God is our Father. We miss that. And if that was true in the 40s, 50s, and 60s in Great Britain, it's even more true in 2022 in America. We're missing that part of who God is. Is it any wonder then that we would hesitate to pray with faith? The thing is, we often, when we look at God, I do it and you do it. When we look at God, we are, um, we're often going to look at him as if he is made in our image rather than us made in him at his image. We take what God has said in Genesis in chapter one. I'll read it to you beginning in verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. I'm sorry, in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. But instead of looking at that and, and saying, oh, God's created us in his image, male and female, he has created us, we turn it around and we somehow believe that, oh, we have created God in our image. In our image, we have, we have created him with our fear and, and our performance mentality, uh, with, with our lack of intimacy and with our uh, duplici duplicitous nature as if he was one person today and somebody else Tomorrow, we look at him as if he cannot be trusted because we, we find that as we look around the world that, that we're not trusted and trustworthy. And that's something that's becoming even more of an epidemic. So we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust each other. Is it any wonder that we would not trust God who we have created in our own, in our own image, right? We look at him and we can't imagine who he is. What does this have to do with prayer? Everything. Absolutely everything. Because that relationship is the hinge pin that prayer swings. If you look at a hinge, there's that pin. If that pin's missing, then the hinge isn't opening and closing. Something's falling apart. The relationship that we have with God, Him as our Heavenly Father, us as His children, is the hinge pin that our prayer swings. It really does matter who He is. Is he, who, is he really who he said he was when he said he is our heavenly father? Is he? Is he truly God as he claimed to be? Or is he a fraud? You have to answer that question. In your own lives, you have to know that. Is he God and your heavenly father? Or is he a fake, a duplicitous, phony, and a fraud? What is he? Who is he? Because if he's a fraud, then we are fools to spend our Sunday mornings like this or to orient our world around who, who he is if he's a fraud. But if he's not a fraud, then he truly is God. He is who he said he is. He is our Heavenly Father with that type of intimacy that might make some of us uncomfortable and others of us really very, very comfortable but whether we're comfortable or uncomfortable with it, is it the point? The point is that he is still our heavenly father. He is still intimate with his children. He is God. He is our heavenly father. He is not a fraud. To get, grasp that relationship in prayer, you have to have that relationship with God, our father, rightly seen. Whether you've been a, a Christian for a few moments or a Christian for decades, got to understand, you have to grasp that he sees himself and calls himself as our heavenly father. He is the same in reality today as he was in scripture, as he was in Genesis when he, when he first spoke the world into being. He is no different. He is no different than he was when he parted the Red Sea, when he called the Israelites up out of Egypt. He's no different than he was when they crossed the Jordan River or when he tore down the walls of Jericho. He is no different when he raised up King David. He is no different than he was when he caused Mary to be pregnant with our Savior. He's no different than he was on the day that Jesus Christ was killed and he took our wrath 
the, the wrath that was due us. He's no different than he was on that day. He's no different today than he was on the day that he raised Jesus Christ from the grave. He is no different. He is the same God as he was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our God is no different. There is no shifting or changing in that God. He still loves you and adores you. He is still the same God that we see in in the book of Luke, in the parable of the prodigal sons. And when this one son has gone off to a foreign land and he's blown all of his income in wild living, leaving his father and his older brother behind, and then he comes back having blown everything. He's bedraggled, his, his clothing is dirty, he smells like the pigs he has been feeding. And his father hears that he's coming and runs down the road after him. He hikes up his skirts, ties them about his waist, and runs down the road. Listen, fathers did not run in that day. It was a shameful thing to do. But this father is willing to take the shame of the community upon himself if he can save his son. And so he runs and he grabs a hold of his son. And what does he give his son? He doesn't give his son a home with a servant's quarters. He doesn't tell him, you're no good to me anymore, be gone. He says, get the sandals and put them on his feet. Get the best robe and put it on my son. Get the ring and put it on his hand. My son was gone and he's come home again. That's the kind of heavenly father that you have. He is not someone that looks at you and says, you are my child, but you stay outside. He is someone that looks at you and says, you are my daughter, you are my son. Come home with me. He is your heavenly father. We have to get that rightly. When I was a kid, living in Alabama, I used to think that God was a lot like the Wizard of Oz. I, I think maybe that was intentional in, in the movie. You, you, I don't know if you've seen the Wizard of Oz, but it's an old, old, old movie. There was this guy, this, this wizard, uh, that when, you, when Dorothy and Toto the little dog and you had the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion, they walk into the big, great hall. And on the screen at the end of the hall is this big head, uh, looks like an alien or something. You know, his head that's bald and like this big, and then the jaws like this big, like a cartoon character or something. And smoke comes up from the side. And there's a, um, there's a loud voice that says, I am the horrible and terrible Oz. And you just want to tremble in his presence. In fact, that's what the other characters do. They tremble in his presence until Toto, the dog, runs over and grabs a curtain and pulls it back. And you see that he is really just a a small man just wishing he was home too and wondering how he can get away from the land that he's in. He wants to go home. We have this image that God is made in our image, this idea that God is like us, this idea that God is like the great and terrible Oz, but he's not. He's our heavenly father, and he calls us to be his own. Sometimes I think, I think that if God really knew me, he would no longer love me. Do you ever think that about yourself? I know you might think that about me, but do you think that about yourself? Really, that if God really knew me in the depths of my heart, he would no longer love me. Here's the beauty. He knows you more than you know yourself. He knows the depth of sin that you don't even know is there, and he still loves you. If he knew everything there was to know about you and, and didn't love you because of that, 
then he would be a great and terrible Oz. He would be a mean ogre. And if he didn't know everything about you but only a little bit and he loved you then, then his love would be based on really on your performance. But the fact that he loves everything about you and he knows even the junk that you don't know, how beautiful is that? That is your heavenly father, one that knows more than you know of yourself and he loves you. In John chapter one and verse 11, we read that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God, children of God. Or in Romans in chapter eight and verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you get all that? We are, we're called children of God. We're called heirs of God. We're called co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And we will be glorified with him. That, that's how deep and far that heavenly father comes to you and the way he wraps you up and takes you with him. You're not on the outside looking in any longer as if you don't measure up. You measure up because Jesus Christ has measured up in you. We continually get to cry out, Abba, Father. So it's no secret that he asks us to cry out continually and asking and seeking and knocking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And I know you've probably been sitting on the edge of your seat this morning waiting to find out what the Greek tenses were that really opened up that passage, right? No? Yes, probably not. But it's important. It's really important, especially in this case. Because if you read it in the English, it looks like, well, I just ask one time and I just seek one time and I just knock one time. But that's not what the Greek does. The Greek, in the Greek, it's a present imperative. What, what that means is that you ask and keep on asking and you keep on asking and you keep on asking and you keep on ask, 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 continually. It means that you seek and you keep on seeking. You knock and you keep on knocking. You don't stop asking and seeking and knocking. Persistence is really important for this and we'll get into the reasons for that later on. But this isn't the only place in scripture that we see such an instruction from God to be persistent. We're not gonna touch all those, but let me just touch a couple. In Jeremiah 29, we read that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The meaning is the same in Jeremiah as it is here. Seek me with all your heart. There's this idea that all of us is involved in the seeking of God in that place. Every single part of us seeking him with all of our heart continually. Or we're going over to Luke in chapter 18 and we see Jesus telling a parable of a, of a judge. Uh, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying give me justice against my adversary and for a while the the judge the wicked judge kept re refusing 
the woman. Yeah, he, he wasn't going to do anything with this woman. And he didn't fear God and he didn't respect man. But finally, finally he gives in. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? God calls us to cry out to him day and night, all day long, all night long. Are we going over to John in chapter 14? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So it's not just that he's saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. He's saying also, I want to bless you. I want to do that. I want to give you good things. And we'll get more into that in just a moment. I want to give you good things. Does anybody remember um, the, the TV show, you might have seen it on TV Land or something or whatever, uh, called um, Welcome Back, Cotter? Is anybody bold enough to say that they remember that? Yes, I see a few of you. Um, Welcome Back, Cotter, at least I love Welcome Back, Cotter. There was one of the characters on there, Horseshack. When Horshack wanted Cotter's attention, you remember what he would do? He'd be like, ooh, 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 Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter, ooh, 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 ooh. And I thought that has to be so annoying. God longs for us to do that with him. Abba, Father, Abba, Father, 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 Father. He longs for that. It's not an annoyance to him. He wants us to dive into that relationship in that way with that type of passion, continuing instant in prayer. Always coming before him. This hinge pin of, of all of this persistent prayer still remains the relationship because of what God has done for us. Dan Doriani in his commentary on, on this passage says, Jesus places the emphasis on the God who hears, not on the man or woman who asks. He asks that God loves his children, or he, he says that God loves his children and knows how to give them good gifts. If we ask, the Father will give what he knows we need. He says this in three ways, and each seems to build on the other, asking and seeking and, and knocking. In, in, the, in the Beatitudes, early in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 6 of chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that they may be satisfied. There's this idea even early in the Sermon on the Mount, there's supposed to be a hungering and a thirsting, a longing, a deep felt passion for God's righteousness in our own lives and through us. You move on over to chapter 6 and verse, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's the same thing. There's this constant seeking. Lord, I long for your righteousness in my life and through me in my world. Martin Lloyd-Jones takes it a little bit further, explains it a little bit deeper. And he said, if you look at the asking that he's, he's giving us here, the, the seeking just builds on it. There's asking and asking and asking, but the seeking, he said, is an intensification of the asking. And then the knocking is an intensification even of that. So God really wants all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength 
to be involved in our prayer life with him both day and night. So, but listen, we make a lot of the per- persistence here, and we should, but our persistence is not perfect. And so if you're like me, uh, you've probably asked at times, Lord, have I stopped too soon? Is that why you didn't answer that prayer? Am I not persistent enough? Or how persistent do I have to be to get you to say yes? And for crawl up in your lap and blink my eyes at you and say, please, Daddy, will that work? See, even our persistence isn't perfect. There's nothing about us that's perfect except for what Jesus Christ has done. It's not perfect. So why, why the emphasis on the persistence? Let me give you three reasons. Remember, run, and renew. Remember, run, and renew. When we're persistent before God in prayer, then we remember our need. We remember the depth of our need when we come face to face with our God and Father, our deep need. We remember our dependence on him. He gives us what we can never give ourselves. We remember our relationship with him, that he is our heavenly father and we are his sons and daughters. We remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we all forget. That's why we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. And remembering all of that, we run, we run back to the father. As as the prodigal son's father ran down the road after him, we run to God the father whose arms are stretched out wide, saying, come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Run to me. We get these images from the Psalms of a shepherd that longs for his sheep to run into his arms. I love the song that David's had us sing in the last couple of years periodically. It says, I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. And so I run to the Father again and again and again and again and again and again and again. I run, I run, I run to the Father who bids me to run to him again and again and again. In the brightness of the day and the still watches of the night, he says, run to me. There's also this that happens as we continue in that persistent prayer and there's a renewal, uh, a, a reshaping of our prayers. Um, it could be that as we spend more and more time with God, we discover that, that what we were praying for, we, we really don't want. Because we really wanted it just to, to make us somebody or, or thinking that that would be the thing that would ultimately satisfy us. And the reality is that only God will ultimately satisfy us. And so we spend time with God and we realize, he's satisfying my every need. I don't need the stuff of earth. Or it could be that as we spend more time with him, we, we recognize that that person we've been praying for to come to know Jesus, uh, really, really, they have to know Christ. We realize that our prayers have been shallow because we're thinking, well, we just, we just really like them to be religious or just come to church. And we realize that there's so much more at stake because someone that doesn't know Christ, it isn't a, a whether or not they come to church thing, it's whether or not they have eternal life with him thing. It's a heaven or hell thing. And so our prayers go deeper and more passionate because of that. So our our prayers are reshaped, renewed. So we persist based on what we know to be true, 
The Heavenly Father can and the Heavenly Father cares. The Heavenly Father desires to bless us with good things. Not just anything, but with good things. Look in verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So when he says evil, what do you, what do you, we need to read that as sinful, okay? Uh, evil is compared to God's holiness. Don't get caught up in that and think, oh, I'm evil in the same way that Hitler was evil or Mao Zedong was evil. Well, we're evil uh, without Jesus in the same way that they are without Jesus. But once you have a relationship with Christ, then your status in heaven is child of God, saint who still sins. But we do still sin. We are still sinners in that sense. So if you, though, you are a sinner, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to you? If your child asks you for bread, are you going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, are you going to give him a snake? So I was in uh, Charlotte last week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, hanging out with uh, my brand-new grandson, uh, Thomas Harrison, T. Harrison. Rainy, beautiful. If you want to know more, I can tell you more. Uh, his 18-month-old big sister, he has uh, Sophie's 18-month-old. Eli's about two and a half, and uh, Evie just turned five. Sophie um, had this rock in her hand. I don't know where she got it. This beautiful, shiny rock. And she looks at me, pop, pop, with this mischievous grin, and she pops it in her mouth. And I'd been studying this passage, okay, and I'm thinking, uh-uh, <laughs> where's the bread? You know, who would give his child a stone to eat? Who would do that? Nobody. Unless you're a really evil father. How much more will the Father give you good things to those that are his children? But we have to define good. This is not a name and claim it passage. Don't go there. That's not what this is teaching. Lord, I need a Cadillac. Bam, there's a Cadillac. There's nothing there. Nothing there about that. But he does desire to give you good things, good provision for what you need. There's still storms in life, though, and there's still suffering. We must not be glib and dismissive about that. Um, many years ago, around 1997, I think it was, 96, 97, Sandy and I were raising support to go on staff with MTW in France. And we were at a certain point where we had to, uh, we were like $10,000 short to get up to a certain level before we could buy our plane tickets. And um, I'm doing a little tour on, on Interstate 10, I-10 from Tallahassee, Florida, across to Mobile, Alabama. And I had appointments with different pastors at different churches around the, the southern edge right there. Um, and I missed my exit. That's not that uncommon for me. Um, I missed my exit on this particular day. And between there and the next exit, I saw a white Ford Taurus broken down on the side of the road. And standing next to it was a, a young mom and two boys, maybe about nine and eight years old. And I pull over, you know, and uh, back up and see what I can do to help. She couldn't hear and she couldn't speak. So her sons did the translation work for us. Uh, I did the diagnostic work. It was a, a, a broken water pump. Water's everywhere. So we had to have a new water pump for this Ford Taurus. Uh, her sons put me in touch on my cell phone with their father, 
who works not far away. And I tell the dad, so this is what we need. We need a water pump. If you want to stop and get it, I'll help you put it in when you get here. So he did, and he brought it, and, and we get up under the Taurus, and we put the thing on. It wasn't that hard to do on a, on a Taurus back then. And, of course, they're thankful. They're, the mom had been sitting there, standing there praying that the Lord would provide some help. I look to the hills from whence cometh my help. Lord, will you help me? And the Lord had provided in the midst of her suffering and her storm some help. Sandy and I are praying that God would provide the rest of our income, our support for our mission trip. This guy, this father, husband's asking me, so what are you doing down here on I-10? I tell him we're raising support to go on the mission field. And he says, my boss loves to support missionaries. Let me connect the two of you. And I'm thinking, okay, that'd be great, you know? I'm like, yeah, let's go, go, go. The next day I get a phone call from a guy that wants to meet Sandy and I. So we, we drive down there and we walk into this guy's office, which was the size of this room. I'm not kidding. Uh, and we meet with him and his wife. And we're telling them about our vision and our, our mission in France. And, and he says, so how much do you need for your one-time support? I said, well, we're, we're about uh, $12,000 short of that. And he says, okay, I'll cover that. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? And, um, and he said, what about your monthly support? I said, well, we're, you know, we need about another $9,000 uh, in annual support to cover that, you know, to, and he said, I'll cover that. We're in a storm, this, you know, waiting for, well, a storm. We're in need, we're in a storm. But this young mom was in a storm, and God put the two of those things together, and, and those prayers, and, and, and God met everybody's needs in that way. But there's sometimes when we're in the midst of a storm, and it sounds like God's saying no, or God is silent, Right? Maybe it's a storm of health and you're wondering what, how you're going to get out of it. Maybe it's a financial storm and every bank on the planet looks, looks like they're running away from you instead of running to you. And there's no job on the horizon and you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet just to feed your children. Those are real storms. And some of you are in those real storms. My friends, when we become believers in Jesus Christ... God never promises us that he's going to take the storms of life away. He doesn't. But he does promise that he'll be in the middle of it with us. And that is no small thing. He is in the middle of our storms right there with us. He never leaves us alone. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Somehow, God does good things in the midst of that, although we might not even see him this side of heaven. Sometimes God desires to shape us and change us in the midst of the storm and the suffering we're, that we're in. And maybe it's for his glory. Maybe it's for, the, for our good. Maybe it's for the good of our family or the good of our community. But God doesn't waste any of that and none of it is accidental and none of it is outside of his authority. The Father desires to give what is good to his children. And it's not based on our performance. This passage is not. This passage is based on our relationship with him. It's very clear. How much more does your heavenly father long to give good gifts to his children? So my friends, whether you're here this morning, you're online, um, if you're not a believer, I encourage you 
I encourage you to accept the invitation of the Heavenly Father. His arms are out open wide and saying, come to me. And dive into that relationship with the God of creation who says, you are my son and my daughter. Dive deeper. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. You say, well, Harrison, that sounds like all I'm going to be doing is praying all day long and all night long. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it is so awesome. When you're in the middle of a great day and there's victory because you just signed the biggest contract in your company's history, maybe, you pray. When you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're wondering how you're going to get through the day, pray. When it's the middle of the night and you've been awakened again by anxiety and panic and nervousness and your rest is stolen, you pray. When the dreams that won't go away keep haunting you, you pray. When the throes of motherhood, which is really hard and really great all at the same time, you pray. You pray, and you pray, and you dive ever deeper into that intimate, beautiful, powerful place of a relationship with your heavenly Father who loves you ever more deeply. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us pray. Thank you for letting us come before you. Father, thank you for inviting us, encouraging us, even commanding us to come before you as your children, your dearly loved children. Oh, Father, I pray that you will so transform us as individuals, as families, and, and as a church community, Father, that we would be a people of prayer, that your words would always, always be on our lips. Transform us for your glory and for our good. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Redeemer, amen.